just a note or a friendly reminder before we get started today. It is never my heart to trigger or bring up topics that would be heavy or hard for you to hear. However, these are real life stories that sometimes can get really messy. So listen with caution, but I hope that you are inspired and encouraged to know that you are not alone and that your story matters. Here we go. Hi, everybody. This is Amber from Keeping It Real with Amber. I want to introduce to you Jenny DeBolt. She is the author of Suicide and Sequins, A Journey to Joyous Hope. And we are so excited to launch this podcast for the first podcast of May. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And you probably thought even in the title of this book, Suicide and Sequins, and how could those two things go together? This is the first conversation I've really had with Jenny. And I just wanted to invite you all in as we sit at the table together and get to hear more about her heart and why she has written this book. Jenny, just tell us a little bit about yourself and start wherever you want. Um, Amber, thank you for having me. And um, I'm, I'm excited to share my story. I have um, quite a bit of loss in my life. Um, it kind of started with a niece who died at 14 months old. And without, you know, giving too much away in the book, and, um, I lost her at 14 months old. And it led to this spiral in our family and where we had um, two uh, immediate blood suicides for me. Mm -hmm. And I also lost a cousin to suicide. My son's girl, one of my son's girlfriends to suicide five years ago. And um, two friends, good friends of mine to a murder suicide about a year and a half ago. So I've been touched by a lot of um, what you would call traumatic loss, right? I think all loss is traumatic, but Absolutely. many people process suicide. It's hard to process suicide. It's a lot harder than Absolutely. cancer or whatnot. It's still a loss. Well, it's it's still abrupt. All grief. Yes. Right. Yes. And it doesn't have answers. And mm. it's very confusing. You know, if you die from, if someone dies from cancer, you have answers. You know what happened. It's not pleasant and you right. still lost them, but it's so different with suicides or, or murder or drug overdose or things like that. And then also my sister was an alcoholic. Um, it was her daughter that died. And so we dealt with some alcoholism as well, which right. I didn't, I didn't know how bad alcohol, alcoholism could be. Like, of course you hear about alcoholics, right? Since you're little, you hear about alcoholics right. or people that drink. Maybe when you're little, you don't hear the word alcoholics. And man, I, the journey I went on with my sister for alcohol was eye-opening. And right. it, the, the thing about my loss is that I felt helpless many times and hopeless. And I felt like there's nothing I could do. This is out of my hands. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot we can do to um, help ourselves even before loss or through a, a grief journey, which alcoholism or drug addiction is, is a whole grief journey as you're going yeah. through that. And then um, in suicide loss, I mean, there's Absolutely. a lot you can do to help yourself. And I wish they taught us this in school and, yes. and whatnot. And we usually don't you learn any of this stuff until we're already in the throes of trauma. And, Absolutely. and hopefully we don't turn to alcohol or, or drugs instead right. of healthy means to process Absolutely. So my book is really about that and my journey. It's, it's, it's got points in it where it's hard to read because um, 
it's a lot to, to, I really delve deep into the phone calls I got and I'm mm -hmm. very open with my emotions and what I was thinking, all the, what the F's and, yeah. you know, all the whys that come with suicide. Yeah. And I'm very open in my, my thinking. I don't really hold anything back, yeah. but I live a joyous life. I wear sequins every day mm -hmm. in my life because of my suicide losses. So my first suicide loss, I started, I didn't even want to leave the house. I barely survived it myself to be quite blunt mm -hmm. about it. And, um, I started wearing sequins every, maybe once a week at first. And then yeah. kind of turn as I, you don't have a lot of sequin stuff, first of all, usually. Right. So then I would wear it like twice a week and three times. And by the time my second major suicide right. happened, I was wearing it about four times a week. And, um, yeah. Someone in a, a hallway, a back of house hallway, I looked really good that day. I had this nice dress on, tight, yeah. tight, not tight, but form fitting dress. Fitting, right. Yeah. He was just like, Hey, what's wrong with you today? And I said, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, I look really good. I had my hair curled and everything. Right. And he said, well, you don't have any sequins. And that day, which was maybe, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, um, hmm. I made an, an effort to wear sequins every day. Okay. My closet is very sparkly 20% is unsequent right <laughs> and that includes my shoes so okay yeah so that's just a little bit about me I have a lot mm -hmm. of loss and I have a lot of um insight as to how I process suicide loss too right. like one of the things I share with people is the words we should and shouldn't use to yes. talk about suicide yeah well why don't you um, give us some so examples of those um, yeah, so I will. So we try to stay away from the word commit suicide, mm -hmm. right? And there's many reasons why, because um, commit can be construed as like being committed to a mental hospital or being right. incarcerated kind of thing, right? It can relate to criminality sort right. of things when you use that word. And it, it's deemed as heartless, right? I mean, right. someone was mentally ill if they died by suicide. So in the world of suicide, it's very common, no matter who you talk to, that we don't use the word commit suicide. Mm -hmm. So in my world, we also don't use the words um, killed themselves. Right. Or in my cases, I lost uh, two people to hanging, mm -hmm. um, another two to gunshot. I mean, but I would right. never say shot themselves or hung themselves. Okay. I don't believe in putting an action verb on somebody who has mental health, right? Because right. if you die by heart attack, most times when you die by heart attack, it's because of what right. you ate and the right. lifestyle you didn't and did live. Right. And we don't place blame on you. We take, we have compassion that you died from a right. heart attack. Yeah. And I, you know, I believe that suicide is one of the things that can happen when you have a sick brain. Absolutely. I don't know where that point is where that difference is because I think we've all been at lows and Absolutely. probably all had thoughts of suicide. Mm -hmm. Um I definitely have and and even Myself sometimes included. I still do. Right. right. But we don't act upon it. But I I it's the same like um you may be pre-diabetic. Mm -hmm. It's kind of similar to that, right? So if we have thoughts of suicide or we have mental health issues, it might be like pre-diabetes or if you are diabetic, but some people die from diabetes right. and we still give them compassion for right. that, um, that major organ that was sick, right? right? But for some reason, if your brain is sick, which is another major organ, 
Mm. We don't have compassion. We're like, why would you do that to yourself? Right. Did they do it to themselves? Right. And I didn't have that thought process until after my second suicide, because it just, I just knew that that wouldn't happen unless Mm -hmm. that person was so sick. It was just beyond Mm -hmm. their control. It's really hard to talk about this, right? Because you don't want people to get the wrong impression that it's always out of your control. It's not. It's within our control to control our thoughts and reel them back in when we have those thoughts, right? And to give ourselves good habits. And what can you do if you're having a thought like that? Well, call a friend. Yeah. Call a friend. Just laughing with a friend for five minutes or even crying with them. Yeah. Well, get your thought process right off of that. And now you're into the next, um, Mm -hmm. whatever you're going to do, you know, or you might go take a bath or you might go outside and walk your dogs or walk by yourself. Mm -hmm. There's so many things we can do to try and help ourselves in those times of thought despair. Right. But, um, I would never, oh my gosh, if someone says, oh my, and and most people say it because they're just not educated yet or right. They're very new in their process because I used to say it too, but yeah. oh, it's like nails on a chalkboard when someone says, "Oh, they killed themselves," and I'll be like, "Oh my god!" Right <laughs> inside, I'm like, "Just, just give them grace. Just forgive them." <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that there's such. I look at like, so I'm 44, and I look at like the generations before me, the older generations. And a lot of the older generations didn't want to talk about the hard stuff. You know, I work with survivors of sexual abuse, misuse, and trauma and suicide most definitely is often something that a lot of the girls and guys that I'll be working with have struggled with or are currently struggling with because it became a coping skill for them because they, the, the pain that their soul and their mind and everything is in right now is overwhelming and they just want it to go away. And sometimes they contemplate ending it all. Like that would be the, like, I just want my brain to be quiet. And so in order for my brain to be quiet, this is where we contemplate it. And so, um, you know, I think about the older generations who, because they didn't have the tools to deal with it. And I'm really, I'm giving a lot of grace in that. I really believe that they didn't have the tools to deal with the hard stuff, the trauma, because grief can come in a lot of different forms and not just with suicide, but grief is really the loss of anything. So for those who I deal with, grief can be the loss of your innocence or the loss of your childhood or loss of your virginity, like a lot of loss in relationships. You know, my perpetrator was my dad. And so therefore, you know, I didn't have a father who really was a healthy figure in my life at all. So I had to grieve not having a a dad, you know? Um, And in all of those things you have all, life is messy and it's it's very complex. And I think that when others wanna place judgment on somebody who has become so desperate or confused, I've, I've had, I've lost others who to suicide as well, you know, and, and it is hard because um, you, there's a lot of questions that will go unanswered to that. You know, I think of one particularly who was a hanging and just a couple of weeks prior had been at my house, you know, and, um, it wrecks you because sometimes we, we know that they're struggling, but we just don't know what else could we do? You know, everybody's going to ask that question. If you've lost somebody to suicide, you're going to ask your question, that question, like, what else could I have done? You know, and the answer is, it's not always something we could have done. 
you know, and that's hard to swallow, especially for those of us who are fixers, who want to kind of come along and, and always, um, bring light into dark situations. And sometimes, you know, that cloud of confusion just overcomes somebody to where these things happen. Yeah. Um, wow. There's so much to, to delve into with what you said. Uh, first, I, I want to talk about the many types of grief. So while my book may focus on certain things, oh, mm-hmm. my grief can be divorce, a move, yes. a job loss. It yes. can be for a teen, their first love at, at 10. Yes. Yes. Right? They could be 10 and lost this first person they love. And we yes. find that trivial. Well, I don't anymore. But no, right? some people find that trivial. But yeah. I understand now that we can't judge someone's grief. No, Th- Their grief is where they're at right now. Absolutely. And a, a person that, you know, I, I do a lot of um, volunteer work on Monday nights. Mm-hmm. I volunteer to help kids process grief, usually uh-huh. of a loss of a parent or a child. And on Tuesday nights, I volunteer with SOS, um, which is survivors of suicide loss for adults that have uh-huh. lost somebody specifically to suicide. And what I've learned in that is you just, everybody processes grief different. So mm-hmm. oftentimes we meet somebody and we say, oh my gosh, you lost a child. Oh, that must've been. And then we meet somebody else that said, I lost my neighbor. And we're like, oh, you lost your neighbor. Like what if their neighbor was their mom or was right. like a child to them? Like right. we cannot judge. And you might have somebody who has a child that for just some reason processes grief in a healthy way and a more resilient yes. way. And we, you don't, it doesn't matter the type of grief. Yeah. Everybody processes grief different and you could have somebody totally, that's how we have to teach people this. I, yes. We need to teach people to have compassion for all kinds mm. of grief so we can help them at their level. You know, we yes. can't be like, what, why are you so upset? It's, you're 10. Right. It, this is, you, you're, this person is not going to matter in 20 years because they don't know that right now. They're 10. Right. You have to, you have to validate their loss and understand it and talk to them about it at their level. Don't judge it. That's one thing. The other thing you talked about is mental pain, right? They want to escape Mm -hmm. mental pain. So when someone is dying of cancer, this is such a good example, but if somebody is dying from cancer and they're in all this physical pain, never mind their mental pain too of dying, but they're in all this physical pain. And what do many of us believe, myself included, I feel like we should have assisted suicide personally for me if you already are in um you're in hospice you're getting morphine you're literally just withering until your body naturally dies okay Mm -hmm. at that point I feel like they're for me I know that many people do not feel this way but I have compassion and feel like people should be able to escape that pain if death is inevitable and in the near future so if 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 we have compassion like that, or we have it for our animals, mm-hmm. why, if someone dies from mental anguish, why do we not treat that pain similar? Not that I'm saying they should be able to die. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. Right. But I'm saying mental pain is serious. Right. It's very serious. You can't even escape your own mind. And, and I like to explain like they're living a civil war every day. And right. They're at battle every day. Others, you know, when you, my mom passed away from cancer, you know, and I think, and I don't necessarily know that I, I agree with assisted suicide, but I mean, that's Mm -hmm. not, you know, we can agree to this. It's not, you know, exactly. But, um, I know that when you are dealing with cancer, you have that outward look. So it's a, it's a evident what's going on in the struggle. 
but with mental, it's not. And I Mm -hmm. think that's where so many people look at others and they go, what? No, not you. It can't be really that bad. Mm -hmm. I made a post. I've been working with survivors of sexual abuse for over a decade. And I made a post several years ago and I held up a picture of my, my 14 year old self. And I was in a cheerleading uniform and I was like, this is a face of what someone who's struggling with suicide looks like because it was a cheerleading picture with this big old grin, you know, and for me, it was part of my story. And, um, that was the darkest time in my life, but from outward appearance, everybody would have thought, no, not Mm -hmm. Amber who's on the cheerleading squad. And, you know, and it has all of the, no, no, not her, but behind the scenes, I was a hot mess. I had been put back in my home through family services, Um, that had got involved and they didn't believe me about my dad. And I was told to learn to live with it. And so I was in a very desperate place in my life that I just wanted the pain to go away. And I had a plan, you know, and I think that, you know, that's often a myth that um, people believe that if you ask somebody about it, like, do you have a plan? Like, you know, where are they at in that, that, that thought process that if you ask them about that, you're encouraging that. And I believe that's an absolute lie. Mm -mm. You know, um, you know, we like to say, and I say it all the time that people in mental, I mean, I struggle with bipolar disorder. I don't want to say I struggle with it. I have bipolar disorder. Um, it doesn't define me. Um, most people will be shocked to hear that because I, you know, I take medication for 22 years. I, I live Mm -hmm. a normal, I don't have, um, bipolar symptoms because I, I treat myself. So, but like, people that are ill or even I still get depressed. I'm a human being. So we put this mask on. We like to say, right. Yep. I'm not so sure it's a mask anymore. I feel like when we are around people that we like to be with, or we're doing an activity that we like, or we're escaping our loneliness at home. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like it's a mask anymore. I I feel like we're happy in that moment. We're, Oh, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're escaping our mental anguish. Right. And Mm -hmm. People like to go, well, they just weren't like that when they were around us. Yes, because they were happy when they were around you. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to make that stop. That's okay. So just I'll be talking. back on camera in just a second. So okay. um, anyhow, I, I I feel like, oh, I lost my train of thought, Amber. It's okay. But um. I do feel that we need to ask people straight out. Do you have a plan? How are you doing? You know, I know that you're depressed. Have you thought about suicide? If they say yes, do you have a plan? Mm -hmm. I mean, just talking about it can deter them from it. Absolutely. Getting them out of their thoughts and and getting them to talk about it, you know, and, and relating like, Hey, I understand. Mm -hmm. I've felt that way before, you know, you know, I'm concerned you have a plan. So might we be able to get you some counseling or some some help or something? What can we do to get you out of this plan of action? You know, um, these are open conversations. And if we Mm -hmm. don't start having them, we're going to continue being afraid of them and losing people to to suicide. Absolutely. We got to make it the norm to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So people are like, well, I don't want to tell them because then I'll give them an idea. No, let me tell you right now. I promise Mm -hmm. you, if somebody is at those depths, you're not giving them any ideas. No. Like they, they have already thought of it, um, whether they have a plan or not, you know, right. remains to be seen with, but you got to talk to them to find out. 
So, Absolutely. And um, I do want to let everybody know that when you struggle with somebody who has mental illness and and you, let's say you lose them, some people lose to mm-hmm. drug overdose, an yeah. accidental drug overdose. And then we all say to ourselves, oh, what could I have done? I should have, I should have done this. Well, you weren't, you're a different person now. Mm-hmm. Like you can't judge per, that you before this because you didn't have the information that you have now. So right. there is woulda, coulda, shouldas because you know what you coulda, shoulda done. Yeah. But you, you didn't know that then. So there's nothing to feel guilty about or you can have regrets because now you know, but you don't have any guilt to carry because you didn't know. And don't forget that the work you did do Mm-hmm. In many, and I would venture to say most cases did buy time. So mm-hmm. when we say, oh, they died. I mean, I didn't do, wait a minute. What if they, what if they attempted or thought of this for 10 years? And mm-hmm. did you save them 10 years? Did you give them 10 years of life? So we have to remember to give ourselves credit for the work that we do do and mm-hmm. not discredit all the work we did because maybe we lost somebody. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like we need to just be asking people when I, um, on my second suicide, I thought it would, it was, I knew that there was suicide signs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my dad. I knew that there were signs of suicide risk, pretty much almost the whole list. Right. Uh, like if you go down the list of suicide risk, it was almost every risk. I knew that mm-hmm. at the time, but I was like, well, that's not going to happen. Who has two suicides in their life? Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy. And this is just four years later after the first yeah. one. And I was like, that's crazy. That, that, no, I'm, I'm not even going to pay attention to all the suicide risk because mm-hmm. that would never happen. And then it happened. So right. what I wanted to share with everybody is never think it can't happen right. because it can. So right. that was a heavy lesson that I learned because I knew what to do. I knew how to intervene. I knew how to get involved. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought this could never happen and it did. So I hear a lot of people go, they're just, they're just saying that to get attention or Mm -hmm. they don't mean it, but I wouldn't be so sure because maybe at the moment they don't mean it, but in another depth of despair moment, they Mm -hmm. might mean it. Yeah. You know? And, and if you ask a friend, do you have a plan? And they say, no, I don't have a plan. You need to keep asking, especially if they're in the depths of despair. Like you talk to them the next day. Hey, do you, how are you doing with, you know, your feelings? And do you have a plan? Don't stop asking because things change. Right. And help them get help. Because when one thing I don't agree with in the, the, health, the healthcare system, and I hope that we can change this one day mm-hmm. is we tell somebody who's mentally ill, okay, you need to get into your, your um, provider plan. You need to find a provider. You need to call and find who can get you in, who's taking new patients. These, mm-hmm. I, I have been in so much depression. Like yeah. the last you thing you're thinking about yeah. doing is going through a list of, and thinking and, yeah. and devising a plan of action, Absolutely. making all these calls. You can barely get up and brush your teeth some days. And Absolutely. You, I feel like there should be a mental health care concierge in insurance systems. I, totally I think you should be able that. to like pay a fee. I want to have mental health care concierge and maybe you pay extra for that concierge, right? You're depressed. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's going to be $50 copayment to use our concierge. And you say, perfect. I don't want to deal with this stuff. I'm too depressed. Here's $50. 
and, or whatever, you know, or maybe it's just part of your plan and they do all the work for you. Yeah. We need something like that because I feel we're losing a lot of people because they don't have, they just Amber. I agree. Yeah. I mean, there's just, I love when they're like, oh, you need to do. And I tell when people call me about their child or their adult child, especially, Mm -hmm. I usually tell these parents, you need to make the calls. You need to get involved, ask them for their plan. You start calling for them, make the appointments for them. Don't tell them to do anything. They can't do it. Right. They they literally can't do it. And then we're wanting them to navigate this nonsense. It's just kind of absurd to me, you know? Yeah. It'd be like even asking somebody that's really bedridden ill to start doing all that. Come on. You're not going to do that. Somebody's going to help them because they're going to have compassion that you're in bed sick. Yep. That's a great perspective there. I love, I love that insight. Um, one of the questions I had kind of crossed my mind was, is there a generation that you see go, that you see struggles more with suicide than another generation? Like, are they younger? Are they older? Do you see an increase in any of the generations? So I see an increase in attempts for that's what I meant. Yeah. Generation. Yeah. <clears throat> But um, we're still waiting for some, some stats, but stats did go down in um, 2020, which is shocking, okay. but not the attempts. So um, I don't want to say interesting, but I, I really would like to see what the stats were for 21, which we won't have until 23 or 24. Right. Um, I don't. And I think for me, the reason is we threw in a curveball called COVID. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so that's hard for everybody. I don't care yes. what your walk of life is for Absolutely. one reason or another. It's hard. It doesn't matter what your stance is on any part of it. It's hard. And yeah. I feel like it's added dynamics. We never had, well, it has mm-hmm. added dynamics. We never had before and it's still going on. So Absolutely. in, in different ways, you know, and I don't know what to expect. I mean, right. it's hard to say because this is so new. Um, but I hope that I'm wrong, but I feel like they're going to go up. Mm-hmm. I hope that I'm wrong. And the reason that I hope that I'm wrong is I think a lot more people like yourself and myself and many people that both of yeah. us know are talking about this. And right. many people are advocating for change. I mean, in um, Mar- our February, January, February, March of 2020, I was at Arizona's the Congress um, mm-hmm. advocating for Jake's Law. So Jake's Law is parody or that's a fancy word for equality with mental right. health in the care, in the, the um, medical care system in insurance. Right. And that's the thing. Like there's people working on different things. And I feel like this has brought more awareness to it. Right. And I, I'm hoping that through many of us advocating for changes in different right. ways and help you're helping people with your podcast show. I'm helping people with my book. I mean, right. we're helping people talking to people all the time. Absolutely. I'm hopeful that we will see some incredible changes come soon. Like we may talk about ideas and like, I love talking about the concierge idea because I'm mm-hmm. hopeful. No doubt in my mind, somebody will hear Somebody that will pick it up and run with it. And they'll go, I have the means and yes. the wherewithal and the expertise and the door to start working on that. And that, that's a good idea and I'm going to do it. So that's why we have to keep talking about it and keep advocating yep. for different things. Yeah, you know, I'm a huge advocate for asylums. So, you know, when you have mental health care challenges and you go to the hospital, 
it's really hard for a hospital to care for you, right? Because yes. it's not a little wire right here that you got to change over right. and then send you out. It's very hard. And, yep. and I don't even know that they're the best equipped for it. They do the best that they can, but right. you're dealing with something you can't see that's not tangible, Yes. right? So many times they send you home thinking you're fine and you're not. We lose a lot of people within days of release to suicide. So when we, years ago, decades ago, when we had asylums, you had a place to go. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a general hospital. It was, it was for mental health. Now, were they ran properly in time? Mm. No, no, <laughs> right. No, they were abused. You know, <clears throat> people that were, um, um, what are serial killers? What's the word for them? Where they're uh, mentally have no c- connection to compassion. Um, Anyways. Yes, I gotcha. Psychopaths. Yes. Many psychopaths worked in them. I mean, it was really bad. It was really bad. But I still feel they are the solution if they were restarted with proper protocol I and proper systems. Totally so we agree. had a mental health hospital. Yes. So I know that some of the most only for mental health. Frustrating times for me throughout the last decade or so with working with survivors of sexual abuse is the struggle of their mental health. And so they they are in that desperate place. They know they're wanting help. They go to a local provider or ER and then they're sent off for, oh, I don't know, two to three days. All their medicines are twerked around. They're sent home and they're still, there's not, it's not regulated in their system. And so there's still this influx up down. And I'm like, they're very most vulnerable. I'm going to say that they're most vulnerable for, I feel like suicide in those times where if we had a safe place where they could go, um, you know, I, I hear asylum. I think a lot Room of people and board. Are have a stigma when it comes to asylum, but redefining what that would be, exactly. not looking for it to be a place that people are taking advantage of and, and all these things, but like a healthy new normal, normalizing, getting help with your mental health, being able to have a safe place. I wouldn't even call my, my language would be a sanctuary for people with mental health. Oh my gosh. It's so funny to say that. I talk about that in the book. Let's get away from the word asylum because it has such a negative connotation. It's not a bad word. If you look up the definition, it's a great word. I think it just has a stigma from preconceived notions. Yeah. 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 So now I think we need to change it to like sanctuary. Yeah. A place you can go where you're accepted for the place where, where you're at, you're not judged. Your mental, your mental Mm -hmm. capacity is understood, validated, they love you. Um, we need that. We need a place for people that have mental health struggles. I mean, people with schizophrenia, they are, I feel bad for people with schizophrenia, especially major schizophrenia, because Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of the doctors, listen, I love the healthcare doctors. They, Mm -hmm. they have a good heart. Many of them are jaded. It's kind of like HR personnel, right? They hear all this crap for so long that they, start to lose compassion and empathy for people. You know, like, oh, here's another one. I feel that same way many times about like schizophrenia or, um, or even bipolar disorder or, you know, borderline personality disorder, those types of things like, oh, here comes another one. They've already, Mm -hmm. they haven't even spoken to you and they've already, this, what this plan I'm going to do. Yeah. Like the other thing is, are you aware that there's genetic tests for medications? I am aware of that. Yes. Many aren't. And I feel like that should be step one. 
Yep. Step one, you get the genetic medication test. Okay, so we're going to see what families of drugs work for you. And yes. we'll start with those families of drugs. We're not just going to do a guessing game. I don't understand right. this guessing game. Like, well, the genetic it's test not like is you available, just take it for two weeks. Like you take it for a period of time. And if it's not working, it's not working. Right. But if we can take a step in the direction of something that would be um, more beneficial by taking that, mm-hmm. that test to be able to say, oh, this is be more um more appropriate for mm-hmm. my body type, for my genetics, you know, so to speak, and and all of that for sure. And Absolutely. I have a really good friend of mine who actually works with me in the suicide um, community. She's a really good friend of mine, and she has oh, I cannot think of the name of what it's called, but she mm-hmm. basically doesn't have the right enzymes to break down mm-hmm. medications. I guess like okay. ten or fifteen percent of people have that. Okay. So you're taking medications and they're doing nothing. And actually many times they can make you crazy or have these Mm -hmm. weird symptoms because your body will not process medication. So if we were giving these types of tests, we could start from there. Right. And so people that don't process medications, they should be going to the gaps diet immediately because you can't even medication is not going to help you. So the only way you can help yourself is the gaps diet, for example. Right. I'm not a doctor. Everybody should talk to their doctor, but there's so many things out there and I just can't understand why the, the medical system is not using the genetic test. I mean, people right. would be cared for faster and yep. it would be more successful. You'd have less people coming back. Right. We give a brief overview on it of the gaps diet, just for those who are going who, what's that? So it's a, a there's, you're, you have a special diet. I don't know a lot about it as to what it is, yeah. but it's a special diet that has been developed and tried that helps heal the body and mm-hmm. aids in mental health care yeah. and many other systems in your body is right. GAPS GAPS yeah. diet. Yeah. So, um, and it, and a lot of people are using it. There's a lot of doctors that talk about it and, um, many of us have never even heard of it because right. the first thing we want to do is, is throw pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. and pharmaceuticals work. I mean, I've been taking pharmaceuticals. So you said for, you take them, you've taken them for 22 yeah, years, for- 22 years. One of them have taken the whole 22 years. Uh, the first 10 years I was on one and a, another drug similar to it came out that they recommended for, um, for menstrual reasons. Then yeah. I changed. So about 12 years ago, I took another one. So in, I've taken the same medications for a long time and they right. work. But if I also went to the GAPS diet, I, I probably would be much better, much healthier, and maybe could go off my medications. I say that very lightly because I yeah. would never, ever go off of my medications without my doctor's help. Actually, I've had these thoughts, you know, I go see my doctor, same doctor for yeah. 22 years. I many, many times I'll say to him, I only go every quarter. And I'll say, Dr. Bueno, it's funny, his, his name is Bueno. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Bueno, you think I could go off of my medication? And he's all, he says, just, you know, Jenny, I'll do whatever you want because, like, I know you, I know that right. you'll communicate with me, but nothing's broke. Right. Like, if it's working, it's working. Why focus on that? You know, I'm like, right. I, you know, he's right. So I've just stayed on it. But um, okay. there's a lot of ways that we can heal ourselves in mm-hmm. conjunction with um, medicinal. Um, yeah. solutions as well. We don't have to just do pharmaceuticals. We can, we right. can aid ourselves further by also doing um, natural things like your diet. 
Absolutely. And I wish that um, my friend Jacqueline was with me because she would talk more about the diet, but yeah. I don't know a lot about it. She yeah. lives by that diet because she can't take medications. Okay. So, but those are the things we should be learning about people first, I think, yeah. that and your genetic test and before we put a plan together. Right. Or I don't know how long the genetic test takes to start to get it back. I have no idea. I mean, it might be a two hour test. It might be two weeks. In the case that it was two weeks, obviously you would do a guessing game of some sorts now, right. but if it's something that takes hours, what are we right. doing? Right. You know? So, yeah, there's so much to learn in this community. Absolutely. I meet people all the time and I learn something new and I'm like, like you're talking about a sanctuary. I'm like, see, I'm not the only one thinking about these things. Right. Like these are things we could do to help people. And right. it's so hard though, because our brain is just not a tangible thing to repair. Mm -hmm. Well, it's yeah. sad to me whenever somebody who's close to me that I've, that I've, um, ministered to for several years now, um, is navigating the journey for others. And it's sad when this individual can tell you where not to go because of all the hiccups in the road. And like, there's places that like, well, make sure they don't go to this place, this place, or this place, because they're not, it's hindrances, not help. And when you have to kind of have those roadblocks in the way, I'm like, I'm thankful that, that she's been on this journey and that, you know, what, what didn't work for her, she can kind of be like, Hey, don't go there, but like other places, but like, what is it going to take to help build up sanctuaries where, what is it going to take to have safe places for people who are really struggling with their mental health? And then what is it going to take to break the stigma of normalizing, having conversations? And it's going to take us you know, keeping it real right here, you know, having conversations that others can be part of and, and listen to and be like, you know what? Okay. I'm not alone. Um, I know that I, I'm not going to cause more hurt. If I ask this question that, you know, they're going to know that they're not alone and that I do care and that I am, am here for them, you know, being a safe person for somebody else, be trustworthy. You know, when somebody does be vulnerable with you. Don't go share their stuff with somebody else. They're going to feel betrayed and that could complicate or compound their feelings that they're already struggling with. And so be a safe person, be an honorable person, you know? So I always kind of like to end, um, the podcast with kind of, you know, we've already kind of encouraged and inspired, but like, what would be your call to action to just everyday people that you would want to, um, give to them as we're wrapping up today? You know, I like to share this acronym um, called LOVE, L-U-V. Okay. And if we in the world started doing this, I feel like we could open up a lot of conversations and help each other and build natural empathy and compassion in the world. Mm -hmm. But I like to use this um, acronym called LOVE, L-U-V. So listen, understand, and and. And by listen, that means don't be thinking about what you're going to say next. Just listen, mm -hmm. just listen and really try to understand. And when I say understand, um, I don't mean like you don't have to really understand. They could be saying off the wall things that really don't have any basis in reality. Mm -hmm. And you don't, you don't have to say to them, well, you know that that's not true. Right. Especially if you're speaking to somebody like with schizophrenia. Absolutely. Like, to tell them that what they're saying is not true. Believe me, you're not going to reach <laughs> them like that because right. they, it's true to them. So by understand, what I mean is yeah. understand where they're coming from and why yes. they're thinking that. Okay. It doesn't mean you have to understand it. Right. 
or you have to believe it, if that's a better way to put it, right? Right. You do have to believe that they really feel that way because that's true Absolutely. to them. Right. And then validate. So mm -hmm. by validating, we make people feel um, um, safe, right? Yeah. You know, I understand how you're feeling and I'm sorry that you're feeling that way. And what can I do to help? You know, can I come over and stay at your house for a few nights? So why don't you come stay at my house for a few nights? How about I come to your house and help you clean up and, and you don't even have to clean. I'll do all the cleaning. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, bring them over some flowers to brighten up their life. Go buy a bright picture that something that might speak to them and go hang it on their wall. If they don't like it, tell them you can take it down in two weeks, but you know, I absolutely print them up something that's says positive affirmations and go tape it on their bathroom mirrors. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's so many things you can do, but you want to validate how they're feeling and, and, mm -hmm. and, and tell them, like, I understand, like, that's got to be so tough. And, and mm -hmm. you know what, maybe not even ask them, I'm going to stay the night a couple nights. Mm -hmm. you know, or I have a spare bedroom. I'm going to get your bedroom ready. I'm going to come pick you up. You can stay at my house for a few days. Like mm -hmm. we just need to love on people. And when I yes. say love, I say LUV. So we just need to love on people because if we start to connect with people that way, then we will change the world. You know, the other Absolutely. day, last night I was out eating with, with a couple of girlfriends and the waitress was so, she was kind of a space cadet. Like we would ask for straws and it would take like four times to get our straws, you know? And, and my, before I even got there, they were asking for forks. And I guess it was like three times before we got the forks. And I was never upset with this waitress because all I could think about is, I wonder what she's got going on at home. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I know what it's like to have been, had so much stuff going on in my mind. I can't even remember to like wipe my own rear end, you know? Right. So, I mean, we've all been there. And that's what you have to give it to strangers too. Mm -hmm. Like she must have something going on. So I'm just going to work with her and say, mm -hmm. Hey, don't forget to get my straw. Right. While my other two girlfriends were kind of being um, sarcastic when they were re-asking. Yeah. And I, I feel like, can you imagine whatever she was going through? She had to be going through something. Can right. you imagine getting also these sarcastic remarks? Right. When you're being re-asked, I mean, you're like, oh, I failed again. Oh, I right. Absolutely. Again. Instead of someone just saying, hey, don't, don't forget to get my straw. Just a reminder to get my straw. And they're just leaving it be, right? You're helping this person through whatever they're going through. And yeah. you're not going to die by having to ask three, four times right. for your straw. Right. You know? So I just think we need to live our world with a lot of love. And, I agree. Um, it's a great way to kind of bring it together today. Well, Jenny, I have most definitely enjoyed having this conversation with you. Thank you. Look forward. Um, I know you're launching your book um, mid-month. I think I saw a book launching party going on mm -hmm. on your page. Uh, go ahead and check out uh, the notes on this podcast. We'll have all the details on how you can connect with Jenny on her Facebook page and where you can grab her book from and everything. If you want to know more and hear more of her story, go ahead and do that. Jenny, thank you for coming on today. And I just wish you great blessings in being able to navigate conversations, normalizing mental health conversations that can bring a greater awareness and be able to bring down even the suicide attempts that we are seeing just rapidly going on around us through um, having healthy conversations. So thank yeah. you. Today. Thank you so much, Amber. I, I really appreciate it and much love to you and your audience. Thank you. 
again, thank you for listening to Keeping It Real with Amber today. I appreciate Jenny bringing a wisdom to the table, so to speak, today on how important our words matter, our language, and the way that we even talk about suicide or suicide attempts impacts those around us. So I hope that you were encouraged and inspired to do something, to love on somebody, like she said, the L-U-V, where we are listening to others. We're giving understanding of where they're coming from and we're validating them and their feelings. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to know it all to come alongside others in the middle of our messes and let them know that they are not alone. So be there for somebody. Or if you need somebody to be there for you, let them know. Reach out to somebody you trust, that you love, that you respect, and let them know you just need somebody to be there for you right now. Until next time. Mm